Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Stylish Bride, the podcast dedicated to making sure you are dressed, styled, and down the aisle. I'm your host, Julie Sabatino, and I am so excited to be here today with my friend Michael Andrews talking about men's fashion. And the reason that we are doing it now is in honor of Father's Day, which actually just passed two days ago, but I think it's a great opportunity to talk about men's fashion because a lot of focus is on the dads right now and the men in our lives, and it just seemed appropriate. I've been wanting to do this show for a long time because I think it's a really important and interesting topic, and so thank you for joining me, Michael. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm excited. This is, you know, it's funny. I think that a lot of women that I work with, like we get so excited and planning out everything that they're going to wear and we spend a year doing it and it's all detailed. And then like somewhere sort of like midway in the process, they're like, oh, like what should my groom wear? (laughs) In my experience, it's much closer to the end. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And we'll get into that more later. But for all of the listeners, I think that it is something that you need to think about. And in particular, you have to kind of decide what you want all of the men in your life to be wearing and all of the men attending the wedding. But before we get too deep into that, Michael, tell us a little bit about your company and how you got started in the business. I'll start with how I got started. I'm an ex M&A lawyer and had to wear a suit and tie to work every day and wasn't finding what I wanted in the marketplace and thought there was an opportunity there to bring to guys better styling, better fit, better options. And we started Michael Andrews 13 years ago, and now we're New York's largest most premier custom tailor shop. That's awesome. That's a great story. I think so many things in this business come out of necessity. You see a need in the marketplace and you're like, hey, I can fill this. Although it's not that easy, I'm sure. But (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about when you think in an ideal situation, the couple should start thinking about the men's fashion. Obviously, the sooner the better. I joked a minute ago that they tend to wait toward the end, and I think somewhat that's a function of the fact that guys tend to be procrastinators to begin with. But you're also right. Girls have spent most of their life kind of dreaming of their wedding, and then the guy is almost (laughs) – obviously, he's an integral part, but often his involvement in the wedding is a little bit of an afterthought. I would usually encourage folks as soon as the venue is set and the theme or the tone of the wedding is known – uh, you know, and, and the dress has been bought would be the time to start thinking about it. Because once you have those answers, then you can start thinking about what the guy should be wearing. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's kind of funny, actually, because I have often had clients that go into it thinking, oh, you know, we're going to do, I don't know, a like kind of casual wedding and this and that. And then they fall in love with a dress that's super formal. And they're like, well, it's going to be black tie. But I think that thinking about those details and what you want everyone to wear to the wedding is a really important part. But you have to be prepared that if you want a formal wedding, if you want a black tie wedding, you've got to figure out the tuxedo situation. And if not, you have to figure out the suit situation, which isn't necessarily easier. How, what percentage of grooms that you're working with in wedding parties are suit versus tuxedo these days? I would say that slightly less than half of the weddings that we do these days are formal weddings. In the past, it was closer. It was 50-50. But I think with the rise in destination weddings, we're seeing fewer black tie weddings. And I think it's just a function of if you're getting married at the beach or you're getting married in the mountains, you're probably less inclined to do a black tie wedding. That's true. And you know, it's funny because I've talked in this podcast before about how it seems like destination weddings are really 
such a majority of what I'm working with, with my clients. And with my clients, because there's several day events, I find that they almost always at the end of it want a super formal party. So a lot of them have been black tie, even though their destination, although I will say that the beach is a different, you know, I did one in Barbados on the beach a few weeks ago, and it was absolutely stunning. But they were like, Oh, my God, people can't even wear ties, it's going to be so hot. So I think you're right, when it is a warm climate, people think about that. But I've also seen a lot of weddings happen that in places that you wouldn't think were black tie, and they're going to end up being it. Yeah, for sure. We just did one in Monaco that was black tie. Right. When you say destination wedding, if you're thinking Aspen is one thing. If you're thinking Monaco, it's another very different thing. Yep. Well, I've done black tie and Aspen too, a couple of times actually. So it depends. But I think the point is that there really isn't a clear definition of what it needs to be. And that can be confusing for couples. I think that you get stuck in the beginning, especially if you don't have an event planner that's saying to you, okay, this is the overall design and decor and feeling of the event. How do you recommend Do you get grooms coming in and saying, gosh, I really don't know. I don't know if it's going to be. Or do they typically, by the time they get to you, they know what they're going to do for the wedding? No, by the time they get to us, they generally know what they're going to do, or at least they know the theme of the wedding. And then we may offer some advice there. Because obviously, if you're getting married in a ballroom in Manhattan, it should be black tie. And I think they know that at that point. Where we tend to offer more advice, let's say it's the destination wedding, they're trying to figure out, all right, well, we know it's relaxed, we know it's casual, it's on the beach, what should the groom wear, what should the groomsmen wear, you know, what's appropriate for the rest of the attendees. Do you ever get grooms coming in and saying, my fiance put this on the uh, invitation, but I have no idea what it means? Because I feel like people put some crazy stuff on there, like, you know, I don't know, maybe they're in it together, but... I have wondered who comes up with some of the descriptions. That's a whole other episode we can talk about. So what trends are you seeing right now in men and men's wear and grooms parties? Well, festive formal wear is making a real strong... I say comeback. We're really seeing guys being more creative, more adventurous with their formal wear. So they're bringing in, you know, like a classic black watch plaid during the winter season. It was big last year. We're doing all sorts of color, double breasted jackets are coming back in. Guys are really having a lot of fun with it. And I don't know how much of that's being driven by some of it. I think maybe there's the influence of same sex marriages because we have seen our same sex grooms really having a lot of fun uh, with their outfits. And I think that that's, you know, influencing what other people are wearing. That's awesome. I actually hadn't thought of it, those two in correlation with each other. But I think that that is so cool. Do you have a lot of grooms getting married that you come in and like you do them together? Or do you do them separately? Or how does that work? I would say most of the time what we have done, they have come in together which is, you know, very different. Well, it's not that different. The groom will typically bring his fiance in a normal scenario. So she knows what he's wearing. He doesn't know what she's wearing. Right. When it comes to the guys, they usually come in together and they tend to, again, generalization, but they tend to coordinate more than match, which I think is really great. So they both have their own outfit, but they make sure that they work together. But it's much more of a collaborative idea and a collaborative process. Yeah. And I think that that can be hard. When I've worked with two grooms, they each have their own style. They want to coordinate, but they're not quite sure how to do that and stay true to themselves. And it can be a little bit complicated. Yeah, for sure. But that's where I think we tend to help be a 
balancing factor in that because we'll help them think through the ideas and kind of come up with a cohesive idea that works for both of them. Yeah. No, that, and what do you do if they both want to wear a tuxedo? Can you customize it in such a way that they look a little bit different but still coordinate it? Yeah, absolutely. We've done things where one of them was wearing a midnight blue tuxedo with a black lapel and one was wearing a black tuxedo with a midnight blue lapel, mm. that sort of thing. Maybe one of them will be in a peak lapel and one of them will have a shawl collar Got or, it. you know, they've done two things cut exactly the same in a different fabric. Yeah. Something like that. So they're playing off each other. That's very cool. So I know that the your business is structured around custom suits. And I think that for a lot of people, and I've gotten this question myself, actually, mostly from the brides or the mothers of the bride, but they say to me, well, why would we need to do a custom suit? Why wouldn't we just buy something off the rack? And I would love for you to answer that question, you know, in sort of a general way for just as a high level overthought of how people should think about the process. Well, I think there's two answers to that. First of all, it astounds me for what people spend on weddings that that would even come up as an issue because it's the one what you spend on the groom's outfit. The groom's outfit is the only part of the wedding that really gets to be used again. The flowers get thrown away. The invitations get thrown away. Nobody hesitates to spend money on those. The groom can wear that suit or tuxedo again for you know a decade. It's the <laughs> or two, place. like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> So it seems to me it's the easiest place to invest where you're spending money. But leaving that aside, the benefits, depending on your budget, obviously, I think if you're spending over $1,000 on the groom's outfit, you should do custom. If your budget is under $1,000, then I think there are custom options under $1,000. But I think you're typically better off the rack because I think the way they get their prices to that, they're cutting some corners. So I would buy off the rack and have it tailored. If you are hard to fit, obviously, the harder to fit you are, the more you benefit from custom. There are fit models out there who off the rack is the same as custom for them because when they made the stuff, that's you know the body that they made it to. So obviously, the harder you are to fit, the more you benefit from custom. And then depending on how unique and special you want the wedding to be, what custom does is it opens the door to thousands of fabrics and thousands of designs. And so you can really make something that is tailored, no pun intended, to your wedding and to your to your special day. You bring up a good point. But I want to ask you, so with a wedding dress, I often and over the years have gotten clients who we consider doing a custom wedding dress. And I have learned through time that it isn't right for everyone. So it isn't even a budget thing. It's sort of a can you sustain the process kind of thing from a personality standpoint? So what I mean by that is that unless you have the vision and the trust and the time and the patience to go through the process, and I realize that a wedding dress is a little bit more of an unknown and you have samples and things like that that they can try on. But still, nonetheless, you know, you're picking a fabric out of a little book. With a wedding dress, I have absolutely advised people against custom when they really don't have the right personality for it. So do you ever get guys in your store like that? You're like, gosh, you know, I actually think you might just be better going off the rack. Is that something that happens? Well, no, but it's because I think in large part, menswear is just fundamentally different than women's where there are rules to menswear. And if you think about it at the base level, every guy's suit is pretty much the same. It's got two sleeves. It's got, you know, one or two or three buttons on the front. It's got a pocket on the upper left side, but so there are rules. If, if 
we started putting style lines all up and down the back. You put three sleeves on it, you know, your shoulder. It's not a suit anymore. And that's just not what guys come in for. So you definitely are more directed. And there's a right answer to fit with guys. And so that's also, I think, something that's very different with women's is you've got all sorts of different silhouettes where with the guys, you know whether it fits or it doesn't. And certainly there are different kind of looks and aesthetics. But the amount of variance that gets introduced into the process is much, much less than what you're describing with women. I guess that's true. Although I will say I've learned so much from working with you because the small details and these rules are like so crazy. Like, okay, so the suit jacket should be between the middle knuckle and the upper knuckle. And there could be like the button should be start one inch down from the top of the blazer, like these crazy small things. And but men have a choice, too. So, you know, do you find guys really having an opinion on this or do you find that they're just like, tell me what to order? I would say the vast majority of times guys look to us for the advice and it's real simple. Most of our clients are investment bankers, they're lawyers, they're experts in their field. And I don't go in to see them and tell them how to manage my portfolio or tell them how to write the contract that I've hired them to do. Right. I go in and I'm the client and it's their job to execute the vision or the need that I have. And that's how we do is our clients aren't the expert in menswear. They need to come in and share with us what it is they want to achieve or their fiance shares with us what they want to achieve, the look that they want, what's the style, what are they kind of interested in at a high level, and then we guide them down that path. Sure, now 20% of our clients are fashionistas who have spent more time on Pinterest than you know anybody ever should and will come in with a whole photo album of like these are the different looks and the ideas. And great, we can accommodate that too. But most of the time, the guys are like, oh, geez, I have a choice between blue and black for a tuxedo, and that half blows their mind. <laughs> um, and then we just kind of talk them through that. But you pull out those fabric books, and there's like a bazillion fabrics to choose from. And I know that you guys can narrow it down, but do you find that they just get like decision overload? Yeah, I mean, in fairness, that does happen sometimes. We try pretty hard to avoid that by having a conversation up front and really getting to know the client and understanding what's important to them. So we're not sure we have 45,000 fabrics in the shop, but we don't put 45,000 fabrics in front of every client. The bit appointments would take three days. So we work with them, but we don't, and then we make recommendations because guys will get bogged down between say three blue fabrics that for the most part look exactly the same. Right. But you know, it, when that happens, I feel like it's as much our fault as it is theirs because we haven't necessarily guided them as well as we could have. And then we typically say, look, let's take a step back. Maybe we'll move on. Let's pick a lining. We'll come back to this. And then once they've had a minute to sort of clear their head, they go, oh, yeah, it's just a blue fabric. Yeah, that one's great. Right. No, that makes sense, actually. That's a good way of addressing it. And speaking of linings, I'm actually really, really excited for a fitting that I have coming up at your place in the next month or so for a groom that had something amazing printed on the inside of his jacket. And I can't reveal the whole thing because his fiance may be listening, but it's a very special part of the wedding and your company was amazing in taking it and figuring out how to print it onto the lining fabric and really create something pretty awesome. So I'm very excited. And it's customizations like that, that I think really differentiate you guys from, you know, other people. I think special details like the custom lining are really what differentiates you and your company from all of the people out there doing 
custom suits. Tell us a little bit about how you do that. Well, the custom lining is such a great option for guys. We, admittedly, we don't do as good a job promoting it as we should because it is such a unique and special thing. Like we were just saying, there's rules for the outside of the jacket. There aren't really rules for what's on the inside of the jacket. And I've joked, you know, having a great lining, it's like the equivalent of underoos for adults. <laughs> no one ever really gets to see it unless you really want them to. And it's a, an opportunity for somebody to really be unique and authentic. We've done things like... We had an Australian ex-Special Forces guy who had his escape and evasion map from Afghanistan put in. We had a fellow who had proposed to his fiance on the top of a mountain and had gotten this great picture of her, of the two of them while he was proposing, and then had that blown up and put in as the lining in his tuxedo when he got married to her. Uh-huh. And so those kind of things are just, they're so much fun, and you can really do just about anything there, which to me is really great. That's awesome. How do you like maintain quality control and make sure all of that comes together well? Those are really small details. You know, it's a little bit of a trick, but our tailors pay very close attention to this because what we do is when we're doing full bespoke, it's a bench made garment. And what that means is there's one tailor who is executing that garment. And so it's not being run down an assembly line and that person takes a lot of pride in what they're doing. And so they make sure that when we're doing a custom lining, that the picture is centered in the right place and that the colors match up. And they get a lot of effort to make sure that it really is executed in a way that makes sense. And then if there's any questions, like they'll take a picture, they'll send it to me. They'll make sure that it's all signed off on. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, that's what you want. People working for you and taking that kind of care and love with what you're doing. That's amazing. Where do you produce your suits? We own our own factory in Shenzhen, which is just the other side of the border from Hong Kong. We do all of our pattern making and measuring in New York. So the brain work is all done here in-house on site. And then we, because it's our factory, we have dual replicating servers. We send the pattern over to China. When it's your first time in, we make a test garment. You come in and fit that test garment. We then revise your pattern here before making the final garment. And then we have four on-site expert tailors here who'll do any final adjustments when the garments are finished. That's awesome. And I, when I've been in fittings with you guys, you take a lot of pictures and you have a whole system for doing that. And so then I assume you send them to the person in Senjen that is making the suit. Is that sort of how it goes? Yeah, we have a very sophisticated ordering system that I won't bore people with, but all of those pictures get captured along with the measurements and are accumulated with the pattern that is drafted. The pattern is like the blueprint of the garment. If you kind of think about it, like building a building, the architect does the blueprints and then that's what goes to the contractors who actually do the building of the final product. So it's the same thing here. So the blueprints are all done in New York and that's together with all the schematics, if you will, the, and the photographs and all the measurements. And then that's all handed to the tailor that does the cutting and the sewing. Okay. All right. Well, it works because you produce <laughs> a beautiful end product and, you know, I've definitely had a lot of success with it. So, I actually think that it's important for people to understand a little bit about your pricing because there is a large assumption that you can't afford a custom-made suit unless you're very wealthy. So tell us a little bit about your costs and how you keep them down and what people can expect coming to you. Of course. Well, so we have two different offerings, and it is important to clarify. Custom is a big umbrella, and a lot of people are not very transparent about the differences. So you've got made to measure, 
and you have full bespoke, both of which are under the custom umbrella. And then within that, there are all kinds of different ranges of quality and execution. And there's other things like mainly the fabric that drive pricing. So when you come to us, we have two options. We have a made to measure offering and we have a bespoke option. Made to measure starts at $1,000. It is great for guys who are not tremendously difficult fits because the difference between bespoke and made to measure is primarily in the pattern making. So when you're doing made to measure, you're working off of an existing pattern that is being modified for a client where bespoke, we draft a unique special pattern just for that client. Also made to measure typically is, uh, has less handwork in it than a bespoke garment does. That's true of ours. So our made to measure starts at $1,000, but what it's great because it opens up the world to thousands of different fabrics. And so you have some customizable options and there's a lot you can do with that. Most of what you and I have done together has been our bespoke line, which is what we've been doing for more than a decade, which is a fully executed, handmade, benchmade garment, and we make a unique pattern for each client, and it is fullest expression of a luxury garment. That starts at $2,000. Our pricing is a little less than, say, if you went to Savile Row, where garments would start around 3,000 pounds, and that's a function of uh, we do have our own workshop in Asia, where labor is a little bit cheaper, but not nearly as cheap as people think. They really ought to get over there and uh, see for themselves, you know, what it's like over there. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever people question country of origin with us, which does come up, people still have their inclinations about that kind of thing. I will ask them uh, if country of origin really matters to them that much if they're still using a BlackBerry. And they usually look at me funny and I'm like, well, I mean, a BlackBerry is made in Canada and your iPhone that you're probably using was made right down the street from our factory in Shenzhen. Ah, well, there you go. (laughs) So, you know, in the beginning, we were joking around that men can wear their tuxedos for a long, long time, like the one thing that you can reuse. And it's true. How often do you see styles changing? And particularly with the tuxedo, but also suits, I guess. Does men's fashion change all that much? Well, it does, but it is a much longer arc where with women's it changes season to season and year to year and what's in this year is out next year with menswear it is more like a five-year arc there is almost no chance you're going to order something today that next year next season you're like what in the world was i thinking i mean if you're thinking that it was probably the wrong choice in that moment to begin with so it is i mean they do change when we started 15 years ago Everybody had super skinny lapels and these tiny little pocket flaps and really short jackets and really short pants. It was kind of the Tom Brown influence back in the day. And then along came Tom Ford, and now people are doing really wide lapels and much longer jackets. And we're seeing pleats come back in, but it's one of those things that not everybody's adopting it as quickly. They're also, I don't like them very much, so that's a different thing. They're not very flattering. They can be if they're done right. And I mean, If you're doing custom, they're going to be done right. But I will say off the rack, which is what people tend to look to for inspiration, they're usually terrible. Yeah. Now, what do you do if you have a groom that doesn't live in New York City? Are you able to work with them? We absolutely are in a couple of ways. We just, it takes more time. If someone has the budget, we will fly to them. We just did a big wedding for a very prominent wedding planner who I won't name. The groom flew one of our staff down to Miami and measured up the whole wedding party. And then so we did it that way, which is great if you've got the budget for it. That's not an inexpensive investment. And then 
where it does come up, it's less with grooms, but when we have done full wedding parties, inevitably one of the groomsmen either isn't in New York or can't get to New York. And so we have to figure something else out. And we've got a couple of tricks as long as the person is responsive that we can work with them. We'll find out what their closest off the rack garments are and then we can make a test garment and we ship that out and then we get pictures of them in that. And the results have actually been really, really good. And then in terms of altering, do they do it in their local area? And then typically we've given them a credit if they need minor alterations. If it's anything more than a sleeve length or a pant hem, then we typically just pay to have them ship it back to us and we'll do it here. Got I'd it. much more my tailors do it than somebody else. Yeah, yeah, I know that's the general feeling. I feel the same way when I do custom things. So let's talk a little bit about the dads because, you know, that was the inspiration for this show. I get a lot of questions about whether or not the dads have to match what the groom and groomsmen are wearing. And... I typically say no, and that they can coordinate but not match. But I'm wondering what you're seeing in your business. Yeah, it was a great question. And I think the answer is in that it's never actually come up. So I think that tells you the answer to the question. Yeah, we do a lot of dads. And I think that the presumption has just always been that because they're not in the wedding party, they don't have to match so that they can do whatever they want. They may get a tuxedo that matches the sun, but I don't think it's ever been explicitly said, oh, I'm going to order this so that we all match. And more often than not, the dad is getting something different. I would actually say that it's more likely that they do something so that they are visually distinguished from each other than matching. Right, right. I don't know. I guess it's more just that. They they asked the question before they ever came in to see us. So it's. uh... Yeah, exactly. Well, but I think that it's they get a little confused. And I think that sometimes the mother of the bride who's typically dealing with it is trying to look at this whole thing as one cohesive picture. And is like, Oh, God, well, you know, if the groom and groomsmen are wearing navy suits and blue ties, does that mean my husband has to wear a blue tie? Should it be the same? Should it be different? I get these questions a lot, actually, I'm surprised they don't come up more for you. But You know, I think that the general rule of thumb is that you want to coordinate so that if you're in a picture and you're caught in a frame that it's not like a total contrast, you don't have to, of course, but that whatever it is that you should choose, it's special and, you know, indicative of the momentous occasion. And, you know, it's one of those things that is a personal preference, but I do like it when they kind of coordinate. Absolutely. And I think maybe I took your question slightly too literally. I do think there's a recognition that the father or the groom needs to coordinate as part of the look. But it's I think most people get they don't need to be in the exact same matching outfit, right. which frankly is not something that I'm even sticky about with the wedding party. I think people get too worried about people looking exactly the same and having five groomsmen in the exact same tuxedo. It's great for me when they're hung up on that. Right. But the reality of it is if they're all in tuxedos and they're black tuxedos, no one in those photographs is going to notice if the lapels are different styles or different widths. And, you know, frankly, one of the nicest weddings I've ever been to, all the groomsmen were just in completely mismatched stuff and all the bridesmaids were in completely mismatched stuff. Yeah. They were all wearing, you know, gloriously expensive, beautiful, custom-made clothing, but they were just wearing what they were most comfortable in, and they looked fantastic. Yeah, I've actually given that advice for a long time. I always say to them that if you have a friend that owns a tuxedo, let them wear it, because I guarantee you it's going to fit better and look better than whatever it is that you're renting. 
with the caveat that it still fits. I mean, I feel like men are notorious for not trying it on, getting there, and they're like, oh, it's a little oh, tight. I've been 20 pounds since the last time I wore <laughs> right. this. Right. Uh, so we've dealt with that for sure. But no, but I do think that you don't have to get hung up on the lapel. And if somebody's in a peak and someone's in a shawl, it really doesn't matter. And a lot of times what I'll advise them is to make sure that they're in the same shirt and tie. And so as their gift, perhaps buy it for them. You know, you don't want one person with a pleated shirt and one with a BK and one with studs. And I mean, I guess it's actually not that much of a deal breaker. But if you'd like yeah, some symmetry. Matching ties, for your, right, it's a great, affordable wedding present. And it's a way of ensuring that that very, particularly if it's a color, that that's something that coordinates across everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we finish up, do you have any last tips for grooms or the couple that we didn't cover? Well, I would say that you just alluded to one thing that I would say, which is you're absolutely right that you're better off, in my opinion, letting people wear their own tuxedo that we know fits than asking everybody in the wedding party to rent something. Rented clothing is just, in my opinion, the worst. There are very little that I can say positive about doing right. that with menswear. Renting the runway, I think, is actually a very different thing, but let's not getting there. Men's rental tuxedos, I think, really are just are not great. And it's the lowest common denominator. You get them at the last minute. They're never going to fit right. And they're just better solutions to that problem. The other than piece of advice that I would say is just start earlier than most folks do. For some reason, as we said at the top of this, the bride's been thinking about this her whole life. And then at some point, the last minute, they're like, oh, what's this other guy who's in the wedding going to wear? <laughs> sure. And the number of phone calls that we get from folks who are, you know, oh, my wedding is in two weeks. You know, what can you do for me? And I'm like, I can recommend that you go to a store and buy off the rack. Right. Because that's really your only choice at this point. Yeah. Well, how long do they need to work with you? We need a minimum of six weeks. And I would say that for a wedding, if there's particularly if there's any moving parts, 12 is preferable. Got it. Okay. Well, Michael, thank you so much. I think this has been hugely, hugely helpful for couples out there going through this process. And for all of you brides out there whose fiancés and you're getting married in the fall, you got to get them on it because now is the time to start figuring out what they're going to wear if you haven't done it. But Michael, thank you so much. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is Michael Andrews Bespoke, and you can read more about us at www.michaelandrews.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. And as always, you guys reach out if you have any questions. We would both love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at The Stylish Bride. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss a tip on how to be dressed, styled, and down the aisle. Bye for now. <laughs>